everyone. Welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian DeNovellis, and of course, we are sponsored by the North Jersey Vipers, the longest-running club softball program in Bergen County and one of the premier programs in all of New Jersey. Visit their website at NorthJerseyVipers.com. We begin the podcast on the banks of the old Raritan with Rutgers. After opening the season with a loss to Princeton, Look at the Scarlet Knights now. They have cohesion. They are resilient. They've shown progress. They've won five in a row, including a blowout win over St. Peter's on Monday, 71 to 40. So it's a good time to welcome back a friend of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, former Rutgers big man, now broadcaster and podcaster himself, how life turns for one of your own Rutgers fans, Austin Johnson. Austin, how are we doing, my friend? I'm doing great. How are you doing, my guy? Doing Brian, very good to well. see you. Happy yeah, holidays. Good to see you. Good to see you. So um, how is life as a broadcaster? Let, let's get the fans out there and in case you're not a known. I know the I know the real ones know, but you started uh, a new radio podcast with longtime Seton Hall broadcaster Dave Popkin called Crashing the Boards. Tell us yes. a little bit about it and how people can listen. Yeah, it's a it's a small community basketball wise in in the state of New Jersey, and um, I've had the fortune of getting to know Pop Dave Popkin over the last few years with his tremendous work throughout the tri-state area and uh, for Seton Hall specifically. And uh, we spoke this past summer with the idea of bringing a voice uh, specifically to uh, the tri-state area college basketball scene um, and. As everybody has seen over the last couple of years, it's one that is extremely competitive, um, extremely proud. Uh, so we felt that there was a void uh, for the market for someone to to be able to step in and, and really accentuate, you know, all the, the good things that all these great colleges and their coaches, their players and their fan bases continue, you know, to do and support going forward. So uh, it airs every week uh, on Fox Sports New Jersey at 11 a.m. on the radio, and then it also uh, is put out in podcast format, um, in archive form. So you can catch it in a multitude of ways. So you, no excuses, people. You got to tune in and check out uh, my guy Pop and I. Absolutely. And 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 you guys do, uh, you know, I, I caught one of them, and and I know you brought on, you know, listen, this is a New Jersey podcast. You brought on Grant Billmeyer, mm-hmm. uh, coach of NJIT, and, and Ryan Peters, uh, King Rice was a great interview yep. and uh, Andre Hyatt. So, yep. you know, it, it it encompasses New Jersey. Uh, like you said, 11 a.m. on Sundays, 93.5 FM or 1450 a.m. So what is it like balancing your career, uh, your broadcasting career, you know, having to know Rutgers inside and out and traveling with them and now having to follow you know, Seton Hall and St. Peter's and FDU and Ryder and Princeton and everyone else. Yeah, I think it's uh, a life of balance and it's uh, challenging, but I welcome it. It's a labor of love and um, I never feel as though it's too much when I'm in preparation for speaking about the game that I played my entire life. But uh, it definitely has uh, asked for my antennas to be up about more than just Rutgers basketball and the players and the personnel and the coaching staff and everything that's going on in the athletic department. So um, being open-minded and having notifications on and refreshing all the apps that I have in my phone. So uh, really, you know, have gotten to know, you know, the players for organizations and programs that I wasn't following previously, which is great um, because it makes me more well-versed. I have aspirations to continue to expand and, do you know all types of college basketball games <clears throat> excuse me by the way um and this is a, a really good first step in regards to learning and being efficient and doing due diligence on all these different types of uh, programs within the great state of new jersey and the surrounding areas uh and then having the opportunity to rub elbows and network uh you know with the coaches and the admins and you know some really cool people along the way so it's a blessing nonetheless so what's been the best part of it uh dave popkin is such a professional you know, went to University of Miami broadcasting and and not only is involved with Seton Hall, but uh, local college basketball play by play does a lot with the Northeast Conference every year and and is truly the consummate professional. Mm-hmm. 
uh, working with pop has been great because I'm still, you know, relatively new to this scene and learning day by day. Uh, and it's great. Honestly, every single opportunity that I get to work with new people who have been around this space, um, it would be I would be remiss if I turned it down. And uh, as soon as pop reached out, it was a no brainer for me. Um, the best part, I think, would just be continuously improving the craft and uh, taking on an entrepreneurial endeavor. Uh, because there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes in regards to setting up and organizing and syncing up schedules and, um, you know, thinking about things outside of just doing the show that I never had to consider before. So it gave me a true appreciation of what it takes to get a show up off the ground, which is invaluable uh, as I continue to build and, and try to, you know, scale and grow in this in, in this industry. Preparation, preparation is is the key in anything, right? So um all right i'm gonna put you on the spot one more question about this right now as the calendar turns from november to december it's still early but let's rank those new jersey teams do you agree well, princeton's at the top yeah i think everybody would have princeton at the top and i had a chance to do uh the princeton northeastern game last week and they look as sharp as ever um got a lot of respect for the way that alaco uh approaches the game he is a beast Caden pierce uh, is a monster as well on the boards. I have yet to see somebody who can rebound at such a high clip uh, such as him. So Princeton is in a really good place. I got to go Rutgers number two um, mm -hmm. and, you know, a close number two. I think that this is a team that although taking that one blemish against Princeton, um, they continue to really uh, improve. And we talked about that in uh, the open about, you know, taking that first loss, but then finding ways to win um, each and every game. Um, and I think that that'll be the case in the norm with a big test coming up this weekend against Illinois. Um, we'll really see what that toughness looks like. And I don't think that they'll disappoint. Um, Seton Hall, for me, I know records and things are uh, to be considered and, and, and things to be said, but I just have a lot of respect and the way that uh, Shaheen approaches the game um, and 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 the way that uh, he gets the, the the biggest response out of his individual players. Um, I've seen there, there's been a couple of teams that I haven't had a chance to see yet, but I have been keeping up with the records such as uh, Ryder um, and NJIT. Uh, I would say after Seton Hall, it would be uh, St. Peter's for me um, because I saw that the way that they played Seton Hall tough earlier in this season and they just eat glass and their record is a little bit deceiving at this point but I think that they got some really good uh, battle testing early on in the season going against some power five schools that will really pay dividend for them as they get closer to the end of their season um, so uh, they're fourth after Seton Hall for me and I think that Monmouth is all, also a really really interesting team to consider that a lot, of, not a lot of people really get a chance to 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 really get a chance to see. Uh, so they're fifth, and and then uh, NJIT and and Ryder, and Fairleigh Dickinson, and uh, FDU as well. Um, I would I would consider. How about you? What would you say is your 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 ranking? Oh, putting me on the spot. Uh, right now, I I I am not going to disagree with what you're saying. Uh, I I know it sounds kind of vanilla, but. Honestly, throw Seton Hall and, and Rutgers. Princeton has clearly set themselves apart, and, and I'll talk about them later. But listen, they have a chance to go undefeated in the non-conference. Looking at their schedule, the way it's shaken out, they're 6-0, and uh, they play a very tough Furman team after Bucknell. And I know they go to St. Joe's, but there's a chance they're 13-0 and going into Harvard and, and ranked. So uh, until otherwise, they're number one. And, you know, put a, put a fine thin sheet of paper in between Seton Hall and Rutgers right now with the way Rutgers is gathering momentum, I will give them a slight edge. However, with that game being at Seton Hall, Seton Hall would be favored. Um, if you put them on a neutral court right now, I think Rutgers might have a slight edge. So, so with the big man in the middle and with Derek Simpson, uh, playing the way he is, I'm going to put Rutgers a slight edge right now and, and we'll see what happens uh, another week. I, I like St. Peter's a lot at, um, I think you had them. Did you have them at number three? I had them fourth. Actually. You had them four. I'm sorry. Yeah. You had them at four and then Monmouth. 
with a notch above FDU. FDU's best non-conference win was against Buffalo. And obviously, Monmouth went to West Virginia and beat West Virginia. Mm -hmm. And with a player like King Rice's son, uh, he is very good. And he's one of the top 10 scorers in the nation. And uh, he gives them just an edge. So after that, I would put FDU. You have to go Ryder and then NJIT right now. NJIT is playing a lot of young guys. They're playing, you know, five, six freshmen. And Ryder has had just a brutal schedule. They played a Division Three team, Immaculata, at home. And then they played five straight road games. Uh, bad loss, I would say, to Stony Brook, but it was on the road. You know, and, and then they're playing Maryland. They're playing, you know, at Marquette. Just just some brutal teams. So I think Ryder will find their their way and maybe have a chance to to move up in the rankings. But I think that's the way you'd have to go. You know, Princeton, Rutgers, Seton Hall, St. Peter's, Monmouth, FDU, and then Ryder and NJIT. There you go. I think I agree with it. I like the list. I, All right. I, I think that's a crucial point you have to emphasize of, um, it's more to consider consider about a lot of the teams and their just their individual skill when when you think about scheduling um, and open up of the season on five straight road games. Uh, you know, after having one at home, uh, is is no easy feat. Um, so you got to tip your hat to that, and you got to hope. You imagine that a, a team like Ryder, you know, that they have a lot of experienced players, you know, that they'll also be able to benefit, you know, from that later in the season as well. But it doesn't make it easy. You know, each win becomes more and more crucial as you start to really get closer to conference play and then, you know, conference tournament play, things of that nature. It's a fine line. I mean, yeah, you, if you have a good team, Austin, right, what do you do as a coach? What do you do if you're Kevin Baggett? What do you do if, um, you know, I, I had this conversation with Anthony Latina at Sacred Heart over the summer. You know you have a veteran team, seniors, graduate seniors, uh, high expectations you want to challenge them you want to go out and play power five teams but you also want to get some wins and and get some confidence going into conference play and now Ryder is one in five struggling for a win they they open up against Siena um what if they lose that game even though Siena's you know at the bottom of the rankings right now in Ken Palm and in the Mac it, it's do you go out and and gather wins and have all this, Hey, we're really good. We're getting wins. Or do you want to go out and, and test yourselves against St. John's or Rutgers or Seton hall or Marquette? What do you do? I had a chance to see Ryder last season at Rutgers and they had a competitive and tough team. And <laughs> this, you know, fly by, you know, fly by night scheduling, a very nomadic style is something that I feel that they've become accustomed to, especially over the years. Um, having to, you know, go out and, and take on by games and, you know, take on opportunities for their team. And they have a lot of veteran presence, Tariq Ingram. Um, you know, they have Mervyn James and Alan Powell and, and people I've seen before that have been able to be successful at this level. Um, I think to answer your question, what do you do is if you're not in a favorable, favorable position, you open up your conference play with a couple of losses, then you got to put all your marbles in the idea of going out and winning a conference tournament championship if you're able to sneak in and, you know, figure out that whole situation to control your destiny and get a, a bid that way. But I think that we're far away from that. They still have the opportunity to to really write this and start to compound some wins. So got a lot of faith in, in Coach Baggett. He's been at it for a minute. So we'll see what they're, what, you know, how their response is over the next few weeks. Yeah, he's a veteran coach. And, and hey, this is great insight, Austin. You know, we, we kind of had our own little crashing the boards here. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tip of the hat to you uh you know you're you're following new jersey hoops and uh it, it's been fun doing that so so i want to talk rutgers now all right and and what do you think of where this team has come right I, I, listen that princeton loss maybe that night rutgers fans were a little concerned but now we know how good princeton is mm -hmm. how do you think this team has responded to riding the ship winning the games they're supposed to do. And not only that, but but really developing some chemistry here. Yeah, I think that that it, that loss definitely is aging gracefully um, week by week uh, as the nation gets put on notice about, you know, just how formidable of an opponent, um, you know, Mitch Henderson's team is. And, you know, the, those players are, are really, really gelling with one another. So 
back to that point, I don't know if there is a tougher opponent looking now in retrospect, you know, six games in than opening up on a neutral site with Princeton. Um, and I think for RU, it's just been trial by error. And, and what I mean by that is trial by figuring out what lineups work with one another and how prepared the, you know, younger talent is on this team, which I think is going to be crucial. Uh, over the, the weeks previous, we've seen, you know, steady eddiness by Cliff Amore. You know, some people want to see him score more, but I think that that'll come with due time. You know, he's really getting doubled and tripled every time that he has the ball in the paint. And everything has been, you know, labor. It's been him really trying to battle through extreme physicality to try to get the ball up on the rim, you know. And I think that he also has maintained, you know, his activity on the on the rebounding which has been something that we've grown to expect and appreciate for him. I, I anticipate as other people become more um, comfortable in this offense that he'll also get the benefit of that because there'll be easy drop-off opportunities as the floor is opened up, you know, depending on who the opponent is. And then Andre Hyde's been great. Um, Noah Fernandes is, you know, someone who's really come on as of late. And I, I don't even know if it's been as of late. The guards have been um phenomenal all year with Derek Simpson, Jamichael Davis, and Noah Fernandes. And Fernandes is someone I'm highlighting specifically because this is his first year in this system. Um, so he's still learning, but he has the experience to be able to override and and help him in situations that a freshman can't pull on and rely on. Um, so I think it's really a benefit, especially defensively, to be able to cycle such active, you know, defensive-minded, team-oriented guards in for Steve Peichel and his crew. So I really have been impressed, especially in that last game uh, against St. Peter's. I think that Noah Fernandes is one of the people who set the tone of toughness. He picked up and guarded their best player full court on numerous occasions, but also scored the ball in a very efficient manner as well and had his season high thus far for Rucker. So 19 points, uh, yeah. All in all, um, I've been very impressed. I think that every year for Steve Feichel has been uh, a new chapter of coaching to the personnel and the talent and what they do well. You got to coach to your players, and 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 some coaches I think get into a fret of trying to make players be molded into a particular type of system. I think he coaches to his players' strengths, and we're seeing that uh, night in and night out. And crazy thing is, no Moat Mag yet. You know, no Emmanuel um, back yet. And we don't even know what the true potential of this group will be, you know, once those players are back and in the flow as well. So let's talk about Moat Mag and then we'll get to the, the other players since you brought him up. You know, that's the biggest mystery right now, right? And and you don't know until you're in the mindset of the player. So, so put us in the mindset of what Moat might be going through. Uh, by all reports, he's been practicing and suited up but yet we hear the clear signals from coach Peichel when Mawat tells us he's ready he'll be ready mm -hmm. so you can't rush him you can't force him to go out there uh all indications are he's medically cleared but you know we can't get into the mindset of an athlete so um what are you hearing what do you know and you know, if you faced adversity in your life with an injury, you know what it's like trying to come back from a major injury. Yeah. Um, and all indications of when he'll be back. I know the same thing in regards to, you know, it's taking it game by game for, you know, a player that's been very battle tested throughout his whole college career and back to his high school career as well. So if anybody knows if and when it's time for himself to go out there and play the back the game of basketball the only way that he knows how to play which is at 150 percent uh, he goes balls out every time that he steps mm -hmm. on the hardwood I think that you have to trust Mawat Mag into making that decision and making it in the right time frame for him uh, going out and not being a detriment to the team or not being in a place where he feels extremely comfortable uh, mentally I don't think is a, a predicament that he wants to put himself in so um, this is a guy that's battled oral injuries. You know, he's had all other types of lumps and bumps and bruises throughout his college career. Uh, you know, so I think that the idea of coming back quickly from an ACL, we see some of these sports stories where Adrian Peterson's able to battle back after a couple of months, 
sports science and technology allows people to get back in such a more efficient and quicker manner, you know, there that's all fine and good, but there's also this whole mental component of being able to go out there and explode and cut and do the things that you need to do, especially with how he plays the game of basketball, how you were doing it previously. Um, so I anticipate that he could potentially be back, you know, for yeah, some portion of conference play. And what he'll bring is the toughness and the attitude and the interchangeability that uh, very few players in the nation are able to incorporate into their team. A guy that can, you know, mix it up and switch one through almost five defensively, and he can score in a lot of different ways and help to release pressure um, and just the consummate team player. Um, and you hear Steve Eichel mention how he has capabilities defensively that rival the likes of a Caleb McConnell, who was the 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 Big Ten defensive player of the year. Um, and, you know, a guy that gained national notoriety for his defensive prowess as well. So to be up in that billing is 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 no easy feat and something that you can't just glaze over. But I anticipate that once he is put back into this lineup, that he's going to be coming and try to finish on a really strong note in his last year on the banks. We we know what he meant to this team defensively last year. We know what their record was with him and without him. So you'd like in a in a in an ideal situation, right? You'd like to see him in December before he we get into January. But it's not a perfect world and and he kind of controls the shots right now and and you don't want to force somebody to get back out there because, you know, I, I've seen it in the soccer world, uh, football, you know, you tear one in ACL and you're out there practicing and you're out there for a week, a month of practice, whatever. And then the other one goes. So um, mm -hmm. crazy things can happen. And and uh, certainly Rutgers uh, will wait for him no matter how long it takes. And we'd like to see him back out there soon. So what else do you see from this team? We mentioned the guards. Um, what do you think happened with Derek Simpson? All right, first game against Princeton, had an off game, uh, was not well, did not play uh, much at all in crunch time. And Pico went with the freshman, Jamichael Davis, and, and Fernandes instead uh, was taken out of the starting lineup for a couple of games and has exploded. We're seeing the Derek Simpson from last March. We're seeing the Derek Simpson that Rutgers fans have come to expect. And in his last three games, being inserted, reinserted into the starting lineup. He's averaging 16 points in those three games. Uh, what do you think happened and what turned it around for Derek? Well, I think you're still seeing a very young player that's figuring out, despite having uh, so many different uh, glimpses of brilliance last season in his freshman year, you know, he's still very new to the college game of basketball only in year two and he's very talented and that is not up for discussion everybody knows that but it was a new team team dynamic new players and expectations uh that were much larger that fell on his shoulders uh and you know him being more in a featured and lead guard um role and then also having new de defensive responsibilities and i think that one thing that shouldn't be overlooked is you know how much time it really takes to build just that organic camaraderie out on the court with you know a brand new set of guys you know he was out there able to to not have to have as many expectations last season with Caleb and Paul Mulcahy and a lot of these veteran presences uh, that had the ball in their hands and they were able to create for him and now with the rock in his hand and learning how to play with Noah and le learning how to play with J Mike and, you know, being more featured now just takes time. And and I think that we're seeing that. And when you're patient, it pays dividend for you. And, you know, two points against Princeton in the first game, two points against Boston U in the second game. And, you know, you have to just pause and allow people to learn, you know, through the process and, you know, really consume film and go through the practice series. And then you start to see that uptick. And against Brian, I think that the light really started to turn on. And what I really appreciated was, you know, throughout the season, no matter what his scoring prowess was or his scoring output was, he always rebounded well and he always found ways to continue to share the game. Um, and that's one thing that Jerry Recco and I really spoke about on the broadcast is, you know, he's really surveying. I really love that term for him that, 
you know, you can tell that he's going at his own pace, but he's also seeing the floor, um, you know, a lot slower, which is something that comes with experience. And he's, he's, he's assisted, you know, as high as five assists this year, even though he had two points. But I think we're seeing that next evolution in his game where he's really trusting his teammates. He's trying to find ways to become much more of a distributor. But I really love what he also brings to this group um, on a defensive end. <laughs> he's not shying away from any individual matchups. He's really locked in. And I think that's what was needed for him. We knew what he could bring out in transition. He is a really, really fun, fast, athletic player, but the next step in his game was how he was able to create and how he was defending. So despite what he's been scoring over the last couple, I think his biggest improvements and his most glaring for, you know, the basketball eye has been a well-rounded game, which I'm excited to see him continue to move in the, the, the right direction for the remainder of the season. And we know how much emphasis Steve Peichel puts on on defense, and, and you better be able to defend in his system, uh, even if you're not scoring. Um, we also saw the evolution of a shot a little bit. I, I, I saw that swagger, that confidence uh, at the beginning of the game. Uh, he had his first three shots, a couple of long-distance shots as well. And if he can ever really develop a consistent three-point shot, let's say you get to 35, 38, you know, even 40%, I mean, obviously that that's that's the goal, then that would really open up his game and, and make him a complete threat where – you don't know how to guard him. Mm -hmm. I think uh, you're spot on. I think, honestly, that we were already seeing a more consistent shot and stroke, specifically from the free throw line. We haven't even mentioned yeah. that. He's Bingo. been lights out. Um, Bingo. So if there's any indicator that someone has the ability to knock it down at a high clip, just look at, you know, what they do with the freebies, the ones that are supposed to be, you know, uh, good every single time that you step up. And he's been one of the best in the nation. Um, and I really like what he's done with his shot selection. He's shot um, for the majority of this season from beyond the arc at a very extremely high clip. He hasn't gotten up too many, um, but I, I, I agree with your point. Um, the form looks good. It looks confident. You can tell it's refined and um, he's been in the gym. So, you know, as he gets more opportunities and his confidence continues to grow, um, I think that we'll see, you know, even the next evolution of what he can bring from an offensive standpoint for this individual team. Gavin Griffiths, top 40 player, a lot of expectations coming in. I think we've seen the learning curve of a freshman where we've seen some brilliance and some moments where, you know what, he's got a ways to go. And, and I think that that's fair for most freshmen. That is the curve of 90% of them, I would say. Um, what do you what do you see from him so far as you've watched him every single game? I see a guy that's eating the game of basketball at the collegiate level, which you want to see. Uh, I love when I get to the arena and, you know, he's one of the first guys that are out there already wor working on his game and trying to get into the flow of, you know, what the environment is going to look like at Jersey Mike's arena, you know, over this home game stretch uh, and the ebbs and flows. Yeah. I mean, you see the brilliance of 25 points against Boston University and a well-rounded approach against, you know, Georgetown, but it doesn't come without, you know, the hiccups that every freshman yeah. goes through in their college basketball season. The Me and Gio were talking about this yesterday. The bag of tricks or the bag, you know, that he has and brings to the court is undeniable. Offensively, he's as talented as a freshman that I've seen uh, in quite some time. And wow. you know, I feel like he's he still has the uh, the potential to continue to grow. He looks like he's still filling and forming out, you know, his physical attributes. So, I mean, I, I, who knows if that's going to happen? You know, only doctors can predict things of that nature. But I wouldn't even be surprised as, as he continues to fill out that frame, you know, it just it gets taken to a whole nother level. But how about, you know, having layers, being able to utilize his length? I love his one-on-one -on -one breakdown ability. When he faces up, and he he's very decisive and, you know, getting to his rip throughs on the baseline and the athletic ability that we've seen for him to be able to rise up and slam. He can stroke it. And he he does. He has a very short term memory about, you know, last possession and misses. I love that he has that shooter's mentality to continue to get him up, even if, you know, the percentage hasn't been favorable for him, which is only going to pay dividend as he gets more comfortable. And this, you know, in this scheme and this system as well. 
But defensively, the last game uh, specifically, he was great um, in their three-quarter full-court pressure look against St. Peter's, which was very effective and, you know, burning off 10 seconds every time that they were trying to get up the court. Mm -hmm. They were always in a hurry. And he was playing kind of in that rover position, and he was really good with his anticipation, utilizing that length and getting in passing lanes, which shows you that now, you know, six games into the season – He's a little bit more comfortable than he was when he was out there against Princeton. So imagine six games from now. Now we find out how well Rutgers has progressed. We know we know that they they beat everybody they had to beat. And and now we find they open up Big Ten play against an Illinois team that's ranked number 24th in the country. Uh, they have one of the best lead guards in the country in Terrence Shannon. Uh, first team all Big Ten, averaging 19 points a game. They're big. They're well coached by Brad Underwood. But I will say this, Rutgers is at home. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know Jersey Mike's is going to be jumping on Saturday. What do you think of this game? You know, let's just talk about the matchup that uh, Rutgers has against Illinois. Yeah, I think we start with what you just mentioned um, in the latter portion of your comment about the uh, statistical, how favorable it's been statistically to, for Rutgers to play against Illinois at Jersey Mike's Arena. And that's not anything to, you know, glaze over either because uh, especially in the game of basketball, trends can, you know, consistently tend to repeat themselves and coaches don't change, players do. So these coaches know each other with around the conference better than anybody else and the the, the schemes and the, the ways that they like for their teams to do certain things out on the court, they cycle in new players, but the mantra remains the same. And you know, <clears throat> Illinois is going to bring toughness and competitiveness and a will to rebound. And, you know, they're going to try to, you know, take you off that basketball and, and defensive principles. So you got to be locked in and value the rock and not allow them to speed you up. And there's some familiar names and faces rolling in for the fight in Illini that we've seen in years past that I have big expectations for. And, you know, you know, some really crazy athleticism uh, through, through Terrence Shannon Jr., um, who is one of the, the the better guards in all of the nation and Coleman Hawkins, who's gotten off to a slow start. But I anticipate that he'll get things rolling um, as well. Dane Danger, I think, is going to be a really good early season Big Ten matchup for Cliff Amori uh, and Vince uh, and apologies, Antoine Woolfolk, um, you who are in for it multiple nights with some of the better bigs in the entire nation and the reigning national player of the year and Zach Eady over at uh, Purdue. But looking at uh, Illinois schedule uh, and, you know, some of the wins that they have under their belt, who knows exactly where this team is at? Because, right. yeah, they competed really competitively early on against Kansas in a exhibition matchup, but that was back in October. And that's when nobody knows anything about their team in basketball lost to Marquette. Marquette is one of the best teams in the nation, obviously, Mm -hmm. but look at the wins, Eastern Illinois, Oakland, Valpo, uh, Southern and Western Illinois. And, you know, are you took on a loss too, and has some wins against some really competitive teams as well. I think that it's going to be an epic battle. Um, I like the toughness matchup for each of this team. It's going to come down to who's winning that battle on the boards and who's finishing around the rim because you know it's going to be extremely physical. Um, who knows if they'll allow these guys to establish a really tough dynamic um, from a refereeing and officiating standpoint. But RU and, and Illinois, I imagine, will be emphasizing finishing the easy ones that they're able to get uh, because you know good shot opportunities will definitely come at a premium. Yeah, Austin, this is a telling week for Rutgers, all right? Illinois at home, then next week they're at Wake Forest, at Seton Hall, win all three, and wow, you've really shown improvement. Two and one is probably the expectations, the goals for Rutgers fans. You know, beat Illinois, split on the road, I think that's realistic. One and two, okay, we've got some work to do, but not the end of the world. Oh, and three, now it's like, whoa, what just happened? Um uh, you know, the way Rutgers is, I expect them to go two and one. Uh, your thoughts about this next week? 
It's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a really good opportunity for Rutgers to prove um, that, you know, they aren't the same team that started out in a niche site game against Princeton. And and I think it's three very favorable matchups uh, considering style and play. I do think that this is a team that can come out and be very, very competitive and start off the Big Ten Conference play uh, on a strong note. Um, when you look at the matchups across the board and how Rutgers, Rutgers has been defending as of recent uh, and their strength is in their numbers. Um, you never know who's going to be able to step up and give the offensive explosion needed to create that point differential. And I really love how Andre Hyatt has been uh, the steady Eddie um, to get this team going as a spark offensively. And the, the the move to bring Gavin Griffiths off the bench, I think, will really help him to come into games and be extremely effective and score at a high clip. Um, when you look at Wake Forest, uh, you consider a team and I'm bookending saving Seton Hall for last. Uh, you look at <laughs> a team that Rutgers beat recently. So going down uh, and and back into a very competitive group's home court and, you know, with revenge potentially on the mind, um, I think that's going to be a, a really good game as well. But one that's definitely, you know, not considered unwinnable for the Scarlet Knights. And then mm-hmm. we were talking about Pop, me and Pop were talking about, obviously, what's going to ensue up in Newark uh, against Seton Hall. Seton Hall is reeling a little bit. Tough couple of last games, but all schedules get thrown out when you see Rutgers roll into town. So, listen, I know RU doesn't want to go two consecutive years losing um, to Seton Hall. I imagine that that's going to be a game that's going to be very, very high on their list to try to come out and be very, very competitive in. I think that RU can go 3-0. And I think that um, obviously there's situations where that can change, but uh, no billboard material from over here. But I'm excited to see that Seton Hall matchup. I think RU um, is the better team this year. So we'll see how it all plays out. You're right. And and you know what? RU was the better team last year. And, and Seton Hall won an absolute rock fight. Uh, football game <laughs> it, it, it it was it was ugly but you know it doesn't matter right you doesn't have to be a picasso and we've seen rutgers go in that building before and 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 win when they weren't supposed to jr inman jerome seager's come to mind uh but it, it's been a while it's been 10 years and and don't think for a second that that rutgers doesn't know you know you know, the last time that that they had won at, at Newark. But uh, we have a whole week to go before that. Next week, I'm going to save a lot of the previews for that podcast uh, because Seton Hall and Rutgers is always, you know, one of the biggest games, if not the biggest game in New Jersey. It is a huge week for Rutgers. And uh, it's been awesome, you know, talking to you, Austin. The last time you came on the podcast, we had a lot of fun. But, man, it, it's so cool seeing your – your evolution, your growth as a broadcaster, you are well-prepared. Uh, I told you before, you have a voice that that I can only dream of having, and, <laughs> and you have a lot going for you. I wish you continued success in your broadcasting career and your development. Uh, of course, you can catch Austin with Dave Popkin, Crashing the Boards, uh, online, Fox Sports Radio, New Jersey, and also on Sunday mornings, 93.5 FM, 1450 AM, 11 a.m. every Sunday and and go online and catch some of the previous episodes. Austin, uh, I will see you at the game and and uh, very soon. And, and it's been a lot of fun, my friend. Appreciate it. Uh, always a blast uh, and really, really love the work that you do. Uh, last, just a little plug for me. I'll be on for the Stonehill Rutgers game uh, on Big Ten Network, 1230 um, for my first season debut for them this year so make sure you tune in and check out that game appreciate yes it. yes and that that will be your second uh big 10 network game right then you have one uh, last third. year third third yeah it'll be my third so oh, uh, fantastic. looking forward to that yes looking forward to that. yeah you take them everywhere you can anywhere you can get them and and the fact that you're 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 home and in that court uh is a beautiful thing so that's stonehill rutgers what's the date uh december 30th december, Saturday, 30th. december 30th all right can't wait austin appreciate you All right. Enjoy. And uh, I will see you in Newark uh, next Saturday. So take care. See you then. All right. Austin Johnson and and good for him getting some more TV work. And it's only a matter of time before he's going to be a steady member of the Big Ten Network's color commentary crew. He has a lot going for him. 
he is getting better with each broadcast and he knows his material and he works hard just like he was as a Rutgers player. So good to talk to him, not only about Rutgers, but about about New Jersey hoops. Now I want to go around the tri-state and get to some teams that are really starting to build some momentum. Let's start with St. John's who laid a whooping on Holy Cross, but that wasn't the story. The story to me was the debut of R.J. Luis. We've been talking about the the transfer from UMass. We've been hearing how he could be a potential starter, hearing how his athleticism is through the roof. Well, I'll say this. He had a sparkling debut against Holy Cross and showed no signs of rust from that broken wrist that he suffered in the preseason. He had 14 points, and and my first impressions, uh, he is long at six foot seven. He is athletic. He plays downhill. He can beat a man off the dribble, which you can't say that about every St. John's player. He brings instant athleticism. He can create. He can draw the D. He can distribute. I've seen tape of him at UMass uh, where he was the Atlantic 10 freshman of the year. And if you don't believe, if that's not enough for you, what I'm saying, take it from Rick Patino, Take it from a Hall of Fame head coach who said after the game, and I quote, Luis is one of the most gifted players I've ever coached. Only great things are going to happen for him moving forward. That was in Patino's opening statement. He wasn't even asked about him. So you know when you get praise like that from a Hall of Fame from a Hall of Fame head coach who's been doing this for 40 plus years. All right? He's one of the most gifted players I've ever coached. All the great talent that Patino has had from Providence and Billy Donovan and Delray Brooks to of course Kentucky. Just go down the list. Jamal Mashburn, Tony Delk, Antoine Walker, Ron Mercer. Let's not forget St. Anthony's Roderick Rhodes was a ridiculous talent. All right. Louisville, the backcourt of Peyton Silva and Russ Smith, Russ Diculous. He has had some gifted players, more than a share of gifted players. And he put RJ Luis up there with a lot of them. Now it's only one game, but. I can't wait to see how he progresses and he fits into this offense because it's not if, but when he will be in the starting lineup. And if you look at the lineup, I I think the most obvious lineup for St. John's eventually would be Jenkins and Dingle and Luis in the backcourt with Ledlam and Soriano in the frontcourt. I also loved what I saw from the Johnnies in the rebounding department. They're one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. They out-rebounded Holy Cross by 25. Uh, They're also one of the top three-point shooting teams in the country at 38.4%. I tweeted that out last week. They're number 42 in the country. You know Rick Patino's teams are going to shoot threes. That's one thing that he has always done since the the advent of the three-point line in college basketball in 1987. They're going to shoot threes. They're going to be very good at doing that. Uh, They're going to rebound, and hopefully they defend the three. Patino wanted shooters. He went out and assembled as many of them as he can. Now, they need to cut down on turnovers. They only had eight against Holy Cross. That's a good sign, but they're averaging 15. Uh, Good to see as well, Simeon Wiltshire, and Zuby Ejafor, the transfer from Kansas, gets some play. Ejafor, he is big. He is athletic. He just likes to throw the ball down. We had some alley-oops in that game. You could see why he was a former top 50, top 75 recruit coming out of high school. And, and Wilcher, listen, it, I like what I'm seeing. I like what I'm hearing. He's not getting a lot of minutes, Okay maybe from a four-star player that he would like to get a top 100 player, but he's saying the right things. He trusts his head coach. Wiltshire said after the game, Patino's been doing this for 45 years. I'm just really trusting him. 
And Patino knows that that he can't lose Wiltshire this early in the season. Patino knows that. All right. And he made it clear when he said, if we're in a war with West Virginia, I have no problem putting Simeon in at any point in time. So they're saying the right things. Uh, Wiltshire will get minutes, will get more minutes. How much depends on the matchup and obviously depends on where St. John's is there. But the Johnnies have an opportunity here to, to really go into Big East play on a roll. They play at West Virginia and they're playing Sacred Heart, Boston College and Fordham at home. They have a chance to go to eight and two before the start of Big E's play against Xavier and UConn. And I think they will do just that. Speaking of UConn, you know, you got to talk about the Huskies, right? I mean, they won their 24th straight non-conference game by double digits on Monday. They beat New Hampshire by 20. And that, in case you haven't heard, in case you've been living under a rock, that set a new NCAA record. Uh, the previous record held by North Carolina from 2008 and 2009 and I think 2010. But look, that's 24 straight non-conference wins by double digits. Not 24 straight non-conference wins. All by double digits. In the NCAA tournament, they beat Alabama, Iowa State, Arkansas, Gonzaga, in the NCAA tournament, as well as Arkansas, Miami, San Diego State in the national championship, Indiana, Texas. So they're beating teams, big time programs by double digits. Now, that streak will be put to the test like never before on Friday night. Why? They're not only playing Kansas, but they are playing at historic. Allen Fieldhouse. Rarely do you see a top 10 non-conference matchup on campus take place. Usually they're neutral sites in some kind of preseason, you know, tournament or, or one game situation, neutral site at Madison Square Garden, right? It's rare that this happens. So appreciate it. Friday night, nine o'clock. National television, must-watch TV. Donovan Klingon against Hunter Dickinson. Two seven-foot-two stars. Donovan Klingon is coming into his own, coming off a, a season-high and a career-high 29 points against New Hampshire. Hunter Dickinson is having a monster year, averaging 21-12, and 12, almost 13 rebounds a game. But that's not the only heavyweight matchup 1v1 in this game. You're also talking about in the backcourt with the ball in their hands. Two of the premier guards in the country. Two triple-double threats in Tristan Newton and Kansas's Kevin McCuller. Newton recently picked up his third career triple-double, the most in UConn history, with all the glorious players that they've had. He has the most triple doubles in UConn history. And meanwhile, oh, by the way, Kevin McCuller had two straight triple doubles this season against Kentucky and Chaminade. Listen to their averages. Newton, six foot five, averaging 15.6 points, 8.1 rebounds and just under seven assists per game. McCuller, a couple inches taller, six foot seven. He's averaging 18 points a game, eight rebounds, and six assists. So McCuller is scoring more. The rebounds are even at eight, and Newton is averaging an assist more a game. That is going to be dynamic. Of course, you have the coaches and Bill Self and Danny Hurley, national championship winning coaches, uh, this game will be in the 80s. It is going to be up and down, high 70s, low 80s. Kansas averages 83 a game. UConn averages 88. It is going to be, you know, Marquette and Kansas was a great game. This is going to be right up there as the regular season game of the year. UConn at Kansas. Uh, the atmosphere is going to be bananas. So, uh, I love the way UConn's playing, obviously. 
And 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 how about Danny Hurley with a little chip on his shoulder, huh? After the game, unsolicited, they played New Hampshire. And let me just give you the context here. New Hampshire shot 29 free throws in this game in the second half. 29 free throws in the second half. And guess what, college basketball fans? Guess what? James Breeding was not on the officiating crew, if you can believe that. Amazing. Middletown's Brian O'Connell was, who I respect a, a great deal. But how does a team like New Hampshire go into UConn and have 29 second-half free throws? Well, Dan Hurley was searching, asking anyone for answers afterward. And I put together this little, he didn't say it all in succession, but I put together this little edit of all of his comments in his post-game press conference about the 29 free throws. For a team to shoot 29 free throws, I mean, in the second half, it was just absolutely um, incredible. So um, you know, we could have walked out here feeling really good about our performance, um, but, you know, 29 free throws in the second half. It's bizarre, dude. Bizarre. Oh, I'm just thinking about the second half, the 29 free throws that these guys just shot in here. Is that a record? Um, is it a record? Oh, I don't know. Uh, well, we'll have to, we won't get that internally. So uh, ESPN, Jeff Borzillo, can you find that out? Um, just with our team, I think we, you know, we, we deserve the respect. Um, the respect from everyone on the court that a national championship team deserves, you know, and that we need to play up to the standard too. But I think all of the participants, and I'm not talking about the opponent, they don't gotta respect us, but just, you know, we're, we're, we're the national champs. And, um, you know, I've been on the other side playing the national championship level, uh, you know, teams, and, um, you know, you just wanna, there's a respect you earn when you win that, that you kind of should get. That's what I see other people get and have gotten and continue to get. That, that, is, that is vintage Dan Hurley. You want respect, all right? And he is saying, hey, we're the national champs. You know, Kentucky gets the calls. Duke gets the calls. Carolina gets the calls. We should be getting some calls here. We know, we know Jim Beheim got all the calls at Syracuse. But digging a little deeper, let's not forget, Danny's not the most loved coach from the official's perspective, all right? Yes, he has done a fantastic job controlling his temper and whininess and complaining and hands flailing. He hasn't had a technical. It was Tom Moore, his assistant, who got the technical in this game for arguing. And, and Hurley was the one who was composed. But, you know, listen, it was only a year ago that the viral video out on Twitter and social media, and we saw Hurley referring to Jeffrey Anderson, Mr. High Knees referee himself, calling him a fucking clown. You're a fucking clown. You don't have to be a lip reader to, to, to know what Dan Hurley said there. All right. Is there carryover? Maybe, maybe. But I'm not saying the officials were holding a grudge in this game. I don't I don't really think that officials going to games and, you know, um, have it out for another coach. You know, sure, it's in the back of their mind. They may not like coaching. Uh, they may not like refereeing a game with certain coaches because, you know, those coaches are constantly in their ear, constantly complaining, and vice versa. There are coaches who don't like certain referees. But you, you put that grudge aside and and you hope that people are professionals. And I'm not saying Hurley's wrong here, but it's something to keep an eye on as the season goes on. Will UConn get calls? Will they not? Uh, especially in big games. We'll see. Uh, Hurley had something to say, and he got it off his chest clearly. All right. Um, UConn has a lot going for them uh, as they open up this game against Kansas. Uh, good for Cam Spencer, by the way. I want to I give a shout out to Cam Spencer. He got his 200th career three-pointer. And everywhere that Cam Spencer has gone, he has led the team in scoring. 
If you had asked me at the beginning of the season who would be leading UConn in scoring, I would have had Alex Caraban. I would have had Tristan Newton. I would have had Donovan Klingon. And I would have had Stefan Castle ahead of Cam Spencer. And yet here we are seven games in and Cam Spencer, all this team, all this kid does is lead teams in scoring. Loyola, Maryland, let him in scoring. Rutgers, let him in scoring. UConn, leading him in scoring. Now we're a third of the way through the regular season, or I should say 25% of the way through the regular season. But he's there at the top. He is an amazing, amazing college player. And he's hitting 48% of his threes. Oh, by the way, what I'd like to see is Alex Caravan pick up his game because he's kind of been MIA the last couple of games, awful against New Hampshire, missed all six of his threes. And as a matter of fact, I did a little research. He was 0 for 6 from 3 against New Hampshire. He was 0 for 2 against Manhattan. And he missed his last three against Texas. So Alex Caravan, going back to the Texas game, has missed his last nine three-pointers. They need Alex Caravan to start playing like Alex Caravan again. And hopefully it begins with that game against Kansas. That is must-see TV. As we continue around the Tri-State, MAC play begins this week. Ryder has had an absolutely brutal schedule that, that I talked about with Austin. Five road losses in a row. Uh, their only win was against D3 Immaculata. They open up against Siena and then home to Fairfield. They have to find a way to at least earn a split. All right? You can't go 0-2 because they will be scratching their heads and spinning in Lawrenceville. Iona coming off a rough one at number 18, Colorado, who was just bigger, stronger, more athletic. Uh, they will be without their seven-footer, Osborne Shima. Reports are uh, they're not expecting him back until January. They have played this entire run without the seven-footer, who was preseason, first team, all Mac. So they're going to have to find a way to get it done until he comes back in the rebounding department and scoring. Uh, they're home to Marist and head coach John Dunn, our old friend from St. Peter's and Seton Hall, and then they're at Fairfield. So they need to find a way to, to, to win at home and maybe steal one at Fairfield as well. So that's the story in the Mac. Princeton is unbeaten for the first time since 97-98 when they were number eight in the country. They're coming off a big week when they beat Old Dominion and Northeastern. And, and they have three big-time players at Princeton who could play for most teams in the country. Matt Alaco, of course, the senior. Caden Pierce, the super sophomore, who you will not find a better rebounder at 6'7 in the country. And now Xavier Lee has emerged as a star, a sophomore star. He was named Ivy League Player of the Week. I mean, this kid just takes over games. He's got the ball in his hands, and he is electric. Rutgers knows that. They saw firsthand the way he sealed that deal in the fourth quarter. Lee averaged 24.5 points. He shot 56% from the floor. He was named Ivy League Player of the Week. That is the third straight week, if you're counting at home, that a Princeton player has been named Ivy League Player of the Week. Alaco, Pierce, and now Lee. A three-headed monster, and those are big-time players. This team can go 13-0 heading into their Ivy League opener against Harvard on January 6th. That is where they are trending. They have Bucknell on Wednesday, and then a very tough challenge against the Furman team that beat Virginia last year in the NCAA tournament. That is a team that plays a specific style, and Princeton is going to have to be patient. We know they can be patient. We know that they're going to work for the best shot. But if they can get past Furman at home, and they'll be favored on Saturday, there is a really good chance that Princeton can be 13-0 and heading into their Ivy League opener against Harvard on January 6th. 
So they have three big time players and a shout out to Hofstra. Tyler Thomas, if you don't know the name, pay attention now. Last year, Hofstra had the winner of the Haggerty Award for the best player in the metropolitan area. Aaron Estrada was lights out last year, did it at Hofstra, won the Met, the Metropolitan Basketball Writers Association Player of the Year, and is now, oh, by the way, starring at Alabama, where he's averaging... 16.9 points per game. Aaron Estrada is a dude, but Tyler Thomas has taken over the role as the dude at Hofstra. What a week. You're not going to find a better week in college basketball than Tyler Thomas had last week at the Gulf Coast Showcase in Florida. First of all, Hofstra won. All right. They beat High Point in the championship game. They won all three of their games. And all Tyler Thomas did, all Tyler Thomas did was average 30 points in those three wins, including a 40-point performance in the championship win over high point. That is a big time week. So congratulations to Tyler Thomas. Keep an eye on him and keep an eye on, on Princeton because they're doing big time things. All right, that will do it for this episode of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Had a great time talking with Austin Johnson from Rutgers and also going around the Tri-State and talking about all the great teams that are taking shape and molding and getting better this non-conference play. Before I leave, thanks to our sponsor, North Jersey Viper softball team. If you or your daughter or someone you know are looking to play high-level softball for an elite club team, visit their website at NorthJerseyVipers.com. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Enjoy the games, everyone. Next week, coming up, Seton Hall and Rutgers getting ready for that showdown at The Rock in the next episode. I'm Brian Dinavellis. So long.